Uh, well, good morning. Glad to see you guys here today. Glad to be seen here today. Um, we're continuing looking at Jonah and the uh, lessons uh, lessons from the fish. Uh, and specifically, uh, what matters most? Is it uh, what we want? Is it... Uh, things that we enjoy, things we desire, and uh, we're going to look at that a little bit today. I was thinking about uh, kind of Jonah and his situation where we left him on uh, last Sunday, left him in the middle of the fish, right, In, in the belly of the great fish. I have a feeling it might surprise you that uh, I think Jonah wouldn't have reacted the same way when God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, that Jonah wouldn't have reacted the way he did uh, if he had made his decision about doing what God wanted him to do the same way that uh, we would recommend it. Right? So basically, he's like, I'm not going because I'm choosing to do something different. Right? I'm doing what I want to do. But he didn't go through the process of making decisions the way we might recommend it. Right? That if you're seeking God's will in your life, how do you decide what you're going to do and maybe what you're not going to do? We would say, first of all, you ought to spend time in prayer. You should spend time in God's word, right? What does God's word say about the circumstances you find yourself in? And then you really ought to consult other believers, right? That there's going to be godly people that that the Lord puts in your life that you ought to spend time with. And you, you ought to already have a relationship with them, but it needs to be intentional, that you would then go, you know, hey, here's what I'm going through. What do, you, what do you think? Here's what I'm trying to decide. What do you recommend? And then, of course, God does speak through the circumstances that you're in as well. And then, and then I do think to a lesser degree than all of those things, God also gives you direction through the things you want and desire. I think that's valid as well, not... Not that those take priority, as you might see uh, people outside the church saying, right? You do what you want, but that he does work through those things as well. So why did Jonah not consult anybody that we know of, right? His, His response when God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and cry out against it, his response is, I don't think so. I'm out of here. There's no way I'm going. And we don't know the specifics. We don't have any more detail than that other than he booked passage on a ship and he was out. But I don't think he went to his friends, the people that he spent time in worship with, that maybe he spent time in prayer and fellowship with and said, 
here's what God's telling me to do. What do you guys think? Now, I wonder why. I, I have some answers. Uh, but I was thinking about this. Why uh, do people in general not seek assistance and seek advice? I, I found several articles and uh, that referenced it. Th- there's one that was really interesting. It actually listed out, here's the reasons why you might not seek assistance when you need help. It said, first of all, that you're, uh, you're codependent, meaning that you don't feel like you can ask for help because you're the one who normally gives help. Or that uh, you're kind of trapped in a, a victimhood mentality. That, that you're kind of like, well, woe is me, and that's just how life is. So I don't get help because I don't want to get out of that circumstance. Or, or that you're counter-dependent. Uh, you see that uh, asking for help is weak or foolish, so you can't ask for help. Or that you have trust issues. I can't go to other people because I don't know that I can trust them. I've been hurt before, right? And we, we actually find this... Uh, there, there's some people that the reason they don't go talk to their pastor is they had a pastor that hurt them in some way, or they don't go to church for that reason. Or that uh, maybe have intimacy issues, right? So I don't, don't feel close to people. I kind of keep myself separate. And if I go and talk to them about something that I want, or I'm, I'm praying about, or questions I have, then, then that's going to build intimacy. And I'm kind of afraid of that. Or low self-esteem. Who am I to seek help from someone else, right? I'm not really worthy of their time or their efforts. Or uh, you're uh, limiting uh, beliefs don't let you ask for help, right? You secretly think that you're supposed to suffer. You don't deserve to not suffer. And so regardless of, of how that fit in to Jonah. I think uh, specifically Jonah's issue is that uh, if he went to his, his circle of, of friendship, of, of other people who trusted and feared God and that he spent time with, the reason he didn't go is that they would tell him to do what God told him to do. That they would tell him to do what he didn't want to do. In fact, I think most times when people say, I, I think um, I've got questions about what I'm supposed to, to, to do, most of the time they already know what they're supposed to do and not do. What they're really wanting is someone to say, uh, give them permission to not do it. Well, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to not do that, uh, even though they know they're supposed to. That there are things that you know you ought to do. You ought to step up and be brave and, and trust God and, and instead kind of rationalize it away. See, for Jonah, he rationalized it away. These people are not worthy of God's mercy. These are people that aren't, don't deserve God's forgiveness. They don't deserve grace. And he rationalized it away. And, and my guess is we, we kind of do the same thing, whether it's for ourselves or, or intervention on other people's behalf. We rationalize it away. We make excuses instead of trusting God. You want to make good decisions, uh, God, decisions that honor God, that, that uh, grow the kingdom, right? Kingdom-minded decisions. 
And so I, I, would, I would say it this way, when you don't know what to do, it's a good idea to seek help from mature believers. Okay, so I kind of said all of that to say, seek help from mature believers. Uh, it's why you need to be in community with other believers, right? It's why those community groups are so helpful. Because in that community group, I, I, I find myself in my community group being closer to people than I would Sunday morning. And uh, when, when challenging things come up, it is so much easier. My, my community group meets on Thursday night. It is easier on Thursday night when I'm talking with, with people to go, well, well, let's pray about that. It's so much easier than Sunday morning to do that. Because we have a relationship where I see them every week. I don't necessarily see the same people here every Sunday. It's harder, right? Bigger group, harder to, to be intimate and get to know people as well. But, but every Thursday night when we meet, I see the same, I uh, think, 14, 15 people. And I get to know them well. That's important. Uh, you have to be in community already. And then you have to be brave enough to say, Here's what's going on with me. I have concerns. I have questions. I have hurts and wants and, and all of those things. And, and that's hard. That's that fear of intimacy. I may not want to open myself up to other people. But once you get past trust, it becomes possible. And because discernment is both a spiritual gift and a skill that develops over time, mature believers often are older than us. Not always and not exclusively, uh, but they do tend to go hand in hand. So uh, it's something that develops as we grow in faith. And so we need uh, to be in community with people that aren't all the same age as us, haven't been going to church as long as us. That's why church doesn't just happen, uh, you know, with a, a, a set group of people that all look the same. Church is diverse on purpose and it's supposed to be if your church isn't diverse then there's a problem right there should be people that in the church that that resemble what the kingdom looks like from every tribe and every nation and every tongue and that it ought to be every age and that that's part of how god put the church together in, in proverbs fifteen twenty two, it says Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. That's even like stepping away from the fact that it should be wise counsel. It's just like, hey, let's get people together to make decisions. Let's be in community as we're making decisions. Uh, the picture of doing what you want without seeking counsel is Jonah. That's what happens. Now, now, Jonah getting swallowed by the big fish literally happened, but it's also an incredible picture, a metaphor for what it looks like when we don't make decisions uh, God's way, right? When we're just flippantly going through life and, and I guess willy-nilly making decisions when that happens, we end up very much like Jonah. Okay, maybe not a giant fish, but you get the point, right? 
he was doing whatever he wanted and he got swallowed and ended up in the fish. There are consequences to doing whatever we want. There are consequences without uh, conscientiously making decisions, right? Without thinking it through. Jonah, when we left him last week, if you remember, right? He was in the boat. He fell asleep. They yell at him, woke him up, cast lots. It fell on Jonah. He admitted, uh, I'm a Hebrew. I trust God. I'm a prophet. I'm supposed to be doing something. I went, no. And, and look, it's my fault. And they're like, well, what do we do? And he goes, throw me into the water. And they go, no, we can't do that. That would not be right. We'll just try and get to shore. That didn't work. So they're like, okay, fine. We'll do it. But God, please forgive us. And they threw him in the water and God prepared that fish. That's where I want to pick up just that verse again in verse 17 of chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I think I mentioned this last week. How stubborn do you have to be to be Jonah? In the belly of the fish and going, I'm good. I'm just going to hang out here. Uh, It took three days for him to finally call out to God. I got to tell you, I would be calling out to God as soon as the the wind picked up and the waves picked up. I'd certainly be calling out to God when the people went, okay, fine, we'll throw you in. I would be calling out to God as soon as the, the fish showed up. And Jonah's like, I am not calling out to God. I am not, right? That's some stubbornness. So uh, how does this work for Jonah? How did God do this? And and, and the lesson, at least initially, that that regardless of what's going on in your life and the obstacles that seem to be ahead, uh, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. The way that God got Jonah's attention to do things the right way was impossible. But was it? Well, he made the the wind and the storm, right? The waves. He appointed the great fish, right? That was uh, the Hebrew word there, appoint. It means create, to prepare, cause it to exist. Is that even possible? By the way, the answer is no, it's not possible. It doesn't just happen. Except if you believe and read Genesis 1, then it's inevitable. In Genesis 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. By the way, if you believe that, you're done. You don't need to keep reading, right? Because if he did that, then everything else that follows in, in the Bible is true. So the big fish, we're good. But let's keep reading. Verse 2, the earth was, was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And they don't want to specifically go to the fifth day. Verse 20, and God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures And let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. 
So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm and according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. If you are good with Genesis... If you're good with God created the heavens and the earth and you're good with the fifth day, then God appointing a great fish in the book of Jonah is not an issue. But it is essential that when you come to the point where you need to make a decision to trust that God loved you enough to send his son to die on the cross. That he did that so that you could believe and repent of your sins and trust him that he is faithful to forgive and that you would be saved, right? Forgiven of your sins and saved for eternal life. Genesis is essential for that. Jonah is essential for that. Because if nothing is impossible for God and we believe all of that, then we can believe that God loved us enough to send his son that we could be saved, forgiven of our sins, and it's saved for eternal life. The fish is described as great. I think not great necessarily in the terms of mighty, but, but of great size. And I don't know exactly what that looks like, how big this fish was. I... I I often envision what was it like in, in the belly of a fish, right? I don't think there was, you know, a sofa. He wasn't in a recliner hanging out. He, I mean, it was goopy, right? Might have been other fish parts in there. Um, uh, I, I heard a sermon one time, and the pastor said, well, inside a stomach is, is lots of, of acid, what would that have done to Jonah? That uh, Jonah might very well have kind of been kind of bleached and his hair would have uh, been dissolved off. And there's a reason he got people's attention when he finally got to Nineveh. <laughs> now, now, I don't know if that's true or not because this isn't a fish like any other fish. This is a specially prepared fish. We know that it was unique. It is the only one that ever existed, and it's the only one that ever will exist. It was uniquely appointed by God for this purpose. The good news is, so were you. You were uniquely created for a purpose. It just, you don't look as unique as this fish. I'm sorry, y'all are unique, but not like this fish, right? Because it had a job to do. Its job was to sustain a human life for three days. Then got to get him in there, got to sustain him, and then got to get him out. That is unique. And so uh, you're created in the same way. So how we go about doing things. The whole point today, chapter two, is to talk about God's will. God's will. And so how does that work in conjunction to our decisions? So, uh, I'm going to say it this way. God's will and your choice determines what happens next. 
they do work together. I've mentioned a couple of times already today that what you want in your desires isn't totally irrelevant because God does work through who you are, your personality, the things that, that you want. You just have to recognize when your wants are invalid, right, if they're sinful. But he does work in those, and they do work together. Scripture is, is filled with examples of God's people making decisions to do what God's will said to do. Those two things work together. Uh, Jonah's situation was brought about by God's sovereign will and Jonah's decision to not go where God told him to go. I want to give you a technical word. Uh, You guys like big words, right? So the technical word here is uh, combat, combat, let me try that. I can't, it's such a technical word. I can't even say it right. Compatibilism. You hear compatible, compatibilism. And what compatibilism means is that God's sovereign will works ultimately. But we also, in light of that, choose. We get to choose. They work together always. And so Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish because of God's will to do that and because Jonah chose to do that. Okay? The the point of it is that we're not absolved of decisions we make. We can't go, well, I guess that was God's will, right? If you're in a bad situation because you made some bad choices, you're responsible for your bad choices. You ultimately have to take responsibility for what happens in your life and the choices that you make. So Jonah was three days in the fish and then decided to pray. (laughs) It took him a while. He finally got around. You know, I guess I'm done here in the fish. And... uh, He decided to pray. Let's look at what Jonah prayed. So this is in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and we're going to kind of pick it apart a little bit. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out, out of the belly of Sheol. Sheol, it's, it's an expression. It would be like saying, out of the grave, right? That, that basically at that point, he might as well have been dead. I called, I was so bad in here. That gives us a, a, an idea of how bad it was inside the fish. That he went, okay, I'm getting over it. It's really bad here. I think I'll pray. Uh, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. Verse three, for you cast me into the deep. Wait a minute. He's praying to God, and he says, you cast me into the deep. Who cast him? Wasn't it the sailors? He told them, throw me into the water, and they're like, we don't want to. And then they finally do. They picked him up and threw him in. But in his prayer, he doesn't say, and those guys threw me in the ocean. He says, you did. Right? That's that example of God's sovereign will at work in the circumstances for a purpose. God was working 
in Jonah in the circumstances to bring, bring Jonah to a point of repentance. And so he acknowledges it. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All the waves and your billows passed over me, right? The circumstances I found myself in were scary. Verse 4, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. So even in the midst of his distress, he knows that God can redeem him. He has hope. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. And the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, oh my Lord, my God. That, that's imagery of being dead and buried. That's how bad it was. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayers came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of their steadfast love. When they put their trust somewhere else, he's saying. If you put your trust in those other things, it's, it's just uh, foolish. Then verse 9, he says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So, so he comes to a point of repentance, acknowledgement, and trust that God can redeem him. If he's calling out to God from the belly in the, of the fish, should his prayer be petition or thanksgiving? Right? Should he be going, God, get me out of this? God, this is a bad situation. Can you help me? Or should it be one of thanksgiving, as he says? With the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. Should his prayer be petition, request, God, get me out of this, or should it be one of thanksgiving? Now, I think the answer is, is both. Jesus actually gave us the model prayer. It's, it's recorded in two places in the Gospels, in Luke 11 and Matthew 6. And, and in those, it always starts off with thanksgiving and petition and intercession. Right? So that our prayers aren't just limited to, I'm in a bad situation, help me out. It's God, regardless of my circumstances, I'm grateful. Regardless of where I find myself, you're still God. You're still good. And so I think it should be both. There's a reason Paul, when he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, in his first letter, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19, he says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Why? Why do you do this? Why do you not stop? He says in verse 19, do not quench the spirit, right? That you are praying in the spirit, giving thanks in all circumstances, rejoicing regardless of what's going on so that the spirit is continually at work in you. Always rejoicing. And then in Philippians 4, 
6 and 7, he says, do not be anxious about anything. If there is a time to be anxious, Jonah was in it. He says, no. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, there's no reason to be anxious, even in that kind of situation. So whether things are really good, things are really bad, things are just so-so, right? That's the whole gamut, isn't it? Regardless of your circumstances, God is waiting to hear from you. He wants to hear from you your prayers of petition, your prayers of thanksgiving, your prayers of intercession. There's a reason Paul said, pray without ceasing. Yet I think we're afraid to go to the Lord because we don't want to shock him. There's a reason that Jonah inside the belly of the fish took three days to call out to the Lord. I have a feeling that that there was a sense. He kind of debated this back and forth. Like if I call out to God and say, God, please forgive me. I ran that God might go, what? You ran? I didn't know. Now he knows that's not true. He knows he's not surprising God in any way, but, but it's still awkward. It's still, I'd rather pretend God didn't know. So I don't tell him. Right? Have you ever had that happen? You know, you're, uh, uh, when you're, you're a kid, your mom catches you, but you still don't admit it. Well, how come? Well, I don't want to have the discussion about what I did wrong and I knew it was wrong and and, and we do that with God. I, I don't want to admit to God. He knows. He's not surprised. He's never shocked. He's like, well, yeah. I know what you did. It, the reason we're having this conversation is that you need to benefit from this conversation. You're not telling me anything I don't know. Jonah finally called out to God after three days and three nights in the fish. God heard him, and he did something about it. (laughs) Look at what he did. This is uh, verse 10 of chapter 2. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. I love that. It's not it placed him on dry land. It it, uh, deposited him. No, it vomited him. Jonah is unique in that he got vomited. No, not vomited on. He was the vomit. You think this is what Jonah was looking for? Jonah didn't want to be asked to go to Nineveh. If he went, God might forgive them and not judge them. Jonah didn't want to be in a storm on a boat in the wind and the waves. Jonah didn't want to be tossed into the sea, even though it was technically his idea. He surely didn't want to be swallowed by the fish, and Jonah didn't want to admit that he was wrong. All of these things happened because of his choice and God's sovereign will to bring him to a point where he acknowledged what was going on. 
And I don't know everything about Jonah, but I'm pretty sure that though he wanted out of the fish, he didn't want to be vomited out. And it might be difficult to acknowledge when you've made a mistake. But it is essential. There is a reason we're told in God's word to confess our sin. We confess our sin to God because every sin is against God. And to those we offend with our sin. We need to go to them and go, look, I, I think I messed up. I think I, I hurt you. I think I did something wrong here. Will you forgive me? There's a reason we're told to do that. And it is difficult. It's, it's not necessarily the way we want to always do things, but it is essential. Because it's how God brought those circumstances about to bring us to a point where we grow spiritually. That's the point. To grow more like Jesus. I have some next steps today for you. First of all, my next step today is to make an effort to reach out to a brother or sister, uh, to open, to be open to being discipled and to discipling. That's the, the, the fancy biblical words for building a relationship and learning from someone else. A disciple is a student of. Will you spend time with another brother or sister and, and learn from them? But notice I also put it on someone else. Uh, will you be the one that's willing to do the discipling? Right? Will you invest in someone else? And, and the way this works is if you've been a Christian for a week, there's someone who's been a Christian for a day can benefit from what you've learned in that week. Two, uh, my next step today is to thank God for the circumstances I'm in. The good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Here I am. This is what's going on. God, you're sovereign, and so it's for a reason. I'm going to thank you for that. I'm going to thank you first before I request, right? Before I make a petition, I'm going to thank you for where where I'm at. And if it's challenging, I'm going to trust you have a plan, even in the challenge. And then the last one there, spend time reflecting on the relationship between God's will and my will. And how are they lining up? Am I doing what God's called me to? And I don't want to be the one running the wrong direction. Because he will provide a fish. It may not, it might be a literal fish, but it might not be a literal fish. It might be a metaphorical fish to bring you back, to get you to go where you're called to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this morning, we thank you for uh, the, really the example of Jonah. And, and I know at least some of it is tongue-in-cheek about what Jonah did wrong, that uh, he shouldn't have waited three days. He should have been quicker to call out to you. He should have uh, been prepared uh, to go immediately when you said go. But look, if we're honest, we have all gone the other direction at times. And I don't know everyone's story here in the room, but, but there's going to be some that, that as we've been talking, they, they've realized, you know, there's, there's something. Maybe it's just in one little area of their life where they knew what they were supposed to do and they didn't. And so they're, they're in that state right now. 
where they know there was supposed to be a place to go, something to do, something to say, or something they ought not do. So Lord, I, I pray for them this morning that they would have the courage, first of all, to acknowledge before you that they've gotten off track. Second, that they would find a brother or sister that they can confide in and be willing to just be open and say, look, this is hard to say, but, but I think I've messed up or I think I, I've got questions. I don't know what to do next. And Lord, regardless of what it is, I am so grateful. I'm grateful for this church, knowing that it's how you put your people together so that together we can do this, so that we can grow spiritually, grow as Christians, to reach this community with the good news of your gospel. Help us to do that better every day, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.